0: The next thing you talk about with your therapist, but it is on no. it is on the list, so to speak.
1: Hey, we're not recording yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready? You know, you ready? that brings up a question. You know in the you know in the movie when the characters say the name of the movie? Yeah. You think that after the movie stops and those characters' lives keep going, they just say the name of the movie and random like just it just comes up and like, Why did you say that? Where is that coming from? And they can't can't explain why. Kind of like an inside joke sort of thing. I think they do that. Yeah. I think but they do that, yeah. You think you think that the, um you think that uh uh what's his name, uh the dad from Frasier, would ever call up ione's guy and say anything and be like, you know, you could say anything to me, right? I, I'm in jail. Spoilers for saying anything, but you know, you could say anything to me, right? And she's like, Dad, I know. Why do you keep calling? And he hangs up and then he keeps calling back later. I don't know. I think that sure. happens. Yeah, I think, think that, that happens? happens. Okay, cool, cool. Glad we're on, Look, on the I same think, page about this.
0: I think that happens, dude. I think that actually, I think that absolutely happens. I think. Uh, Rocky walks around the streets of Philadelphia and he goes, What do you think I am? Some sort of Rocky or something? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, to like Talia Shire to, to Adrian or uh, Paulie or whatever. I think that happens. I think in clear and present danger, Harrison Ford, <laughs> yeah, is ordering at Wendy's in the drive thru of the DC area. Yeah, and is and the lady says, Do you want anything else? And he says, What do you look What do you think I look like? Some clear and present danger or something? She goes, Uh, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> This is a fucking Wendy's. Put this in the fucking episode, dude.
1: Yeah, brother. Yeah. I'm gonna make <coughs> a note on, I'm gonna make a note actually to put the uh put that in, in the okay. All right, can we do this shit? Yes, I'm ready. Uh, yes,
0: yes. All right. You tell me when you're ready to do the countdown. Uh
1: okay. I am ready. Cool. Three two, one.
0: 30 Pacific, I was just in the middle of a dream. Oh, okay. When I feel a buzz and check my favorite tiny little iPhone screen. Well, I can't be late because like Aerosmith, I don't want to miss a thing. (sighs) These are the days where you're glad you get to hear Noah sing it's just another podcast tuesday hell yeah it's on the fucking list day it's our favorite time of day the funny talking baby it's just another podcast tuesday every record why does mason have to show up so damn late Doesn't it matter that I set up the Zoom? His fucking Wi-Fi's down. He tells me in his on-mic voice, come on, Noe, let's go make some noise. Time, it goes so fast when you're having fun. Just another podcast Tuesday. It's on the fucking list day our favorite time of day The funny talking baby It's just another podcast Tuesday Woo! It's on the fucking list day Yeah, okay It's our favorite time of day I don't remember the it's song It's just another tag. podcast okay. Tuesday don't Hell yeah Fucking talk during the middle of my fucking song, dude When I'm singing Maniac Manic Monday by the fucking Bangles and I'm doing a parody about us doing a fucking podcast where I throw in a little bit of a Family Guy reference, and I am happy. For one moment on this fucking podcast, I'm happy. All right? Don't talk right. during that part, dude. Fuck sure. you. Okay. Fuck you, Mason. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Are you really upset? No, I'm not actually upset at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would never actually be upset about
1: that. Are you kidding me, Mason. Oh, right. You know who, you know, that is a great song. Um, you know who wrote that yeah, song, right? Yeah, Prince Rogers Nelson, baby. Motherfucking Prince. I thought, actually, when it started, I thought you were doing um, 1999 also by Prince, oh. and I was really pleasantly surprised that it was Manic Monday, because I'm still getting a little Prince, little Prince You're still getting
0: here. a little Prince. You're still getting a little yeah. uh, female power. You're still getting a little... Oh, I'm I'm freaking the fuck out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You're getting a little you're getting kinda of getting a trifecta there, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, Noah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh well welcome to It's On the List, everyone. This is a podcast. Hello. Hey, can I say the intro, please?
1: Yeah, I okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're still doing this? Where you're gonna be mad at me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Please welcome uh, to it's on.
0: Please welcome to it's on the list. It's on the list. A podcast about underrated movies, music, and much more. I am, of course, one of your hosts, the funny talking baby, and with me, as always, on it's on the list, is the funny talking dog, Eminem, Mason McGuire. What's up, Slim Shady?
1: It's um, your boy, Slim Shady. Eminem was the old initials. Bye bye, bye bye. It's it's. <laughs> you an M M&M and M guy, Mason? I haven't been called. I I am an M M&M and M guy. I think gun to my head, that's my favorite candy. <laughs> that or sour? No, not what I'm asking you. Oh, you're asking about the the rapper M M&M? and M? Yeah, I'm asking you about Marshall Mathers. Uh, when I was a <laughs> when I was a junior and senior in high school, and only on marching band tri- marching band buses to and from competitions, was I a Marshall Mathers guy. Cool. Um, grew out of him pretty quickly That's all I got to say
0: <laughs> What years were those? I'm trying to envision What is that, like uh, 2010? Those
1: would be roughly 2010 through 2011 Okay Yeah, yeah
0: I'm also, I was around the same time Because, you know, there is a little bit of an age gap You are, of course, a millennial I am, of course, a millennial Gen Z cuss A cusp. millennial
1: Gen Z, Gen Z yeah, cuss That's
0: probably the biggest difference between you and me um, But it is. Uh, I remember loving Eminem when I was in middle school, absolutely could not get enough.
1: The, yeah, that I—I that, I don't know. What, I, what can I say other than it tracks? Is this like Lana Del Rey album cover, <laughs> uh, album picture? Uh, Noe Marjor? That
0: that version of Noe Marjor is slightly older. Uh, that's okay. 2012 is when that photo was taken because that's when Born to Die came out. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so this is okay. like no 2009 through 2011 so we overlap uh in that time frame well i'm just a little bit younger than you because there is a bit of a generation gap between us you know
1: right just a touch you know what? i do also want to say i'm glad you said that bit because now i can shout out my cousin riley who specifically mentioned that bit once when we were talking because he listens to the show shout out shout out cousin riley and um he specifically pointed out that the millennial gen z cusp bit really makes him laugh and so i i promised myself next time that happened i would give my a shout out to riley so what's up riley thanks for listening thank you and riley thanks for enjoying the bit
0: yeah thanks for thanks for always enjoying that bit riley what other bits do you enjoy riley please tell mason uh try and yeah. st- try and stack the deck if you can with bits yeah, that I yeah, do. yeah send
1: us an email to to everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com yeah, send us, us just send us an email, time.
0: Riley. You know, just send us an email. Speaking of emails, though, Mason, we got an yeah. email
1: this week, didn't we? Somewhat, uh, we got an Instagram DM actually to my personal okay. Instagram DMs. Um, but responding to the prompt from last week's episode, uh, tweet in your uh, worst lunch. <laughs> so, <Yep>. um, <laughs> so uh, past guest, current friend, maybe future guest, Mayor Moreno. DM'd me, which DMs are open. I think I make that very clear on the podcast. Yep. Um, she and her partner were listening to the Replacements app, and uh, she has to tell. She said, "I have to tell you my worst lunch. The time my stepdad made bean burritos with canned refried beans and leftover rice from Chinese takeout, and nothing else." <laughs> okay. Other contender is the time he made enchiladas using Pace mild salsa mixed with La Victoria as the sauce.
0: Damn, Marin. What I'm about to say does not apply to you specifically. That's some white trash ass lunch right there is what that is.
1: That's, uh, yeah. Pretty <laughs> embarrassing. I mean. Sucks. Fucking sucks. Sucks. I mean, that would be, that. like, that's, like, kind of um, how I eat, for, uh, how I feed myself now sometimes. Just, like, whatever's in the pantry. Yeah. Whatever's left over in, in, like, a little wrap. And that's my lunch. That's not a meal you should feed your children.
0: <laughs> no, that's a meal that you feed yourself when you're in your mid-20s. You're like, got to get rid of this protein powder <laughs> that's in that <laughs> cupboard for some reason. So you just fucking dunk it in a tortilla, you know, fucking fl- <laughs> lather it up. And you're like, all right, protein powder flavored tortilla for lunch. Don't you on your Instagram, Mason, have a photo of you eating a tortilla like a huge schmuck?
1: Yeah, I do love to actually just eat whole tortillas sometimes. Nothing in them. Just like a whole glass tortilla. There's a picture of me wearing my yellow cap and uh, just looking very happy to be eating that tortilla. That's all I'll say. It's it's from earlier this year. It's like big derp energy. Like derpina energy from like memes from like
0: 8 to 10 years ago. Big derp energy. Derpina energy. Holy fuck. (laughs) Derpina McGuire up in here. Hell yeah.
1: Derp. (laughs) Derp, derp. Derp. Remember derp. Oh, my lord. My lord. The whole, whole ass time on the internet. That was a 10 years ago. That's crazy. Feels, That's crazy. It
0: Feels like just yesterday in some ways where I'm, I forgot to post. Oh, excuse me. I'm coughing because I need to throw up. I'm posting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot to post since last episode. Forgot to post the memes that I would make. In early high school, oh. to the Instagram yes. and Twitter, so yes, please uh, look out for those. I'm just gonna set a reminder to do that. But speaking okay. of memes, actually, Mason, yes, on mm-hmm. the it's on the list Twitter account today. Not today, but recently, got a DM from the man who started it all, Mr. Carter Moon. Mr. Carter Moon,
1: producer Carter himself. I know, right? How
0: is he doing? He's doing. He, from what I can tell, he's doing all right. Doing okay, doing as well as you can be. Carter DM tell us how you're doing. Carter, get us get up in there. Get up off of that thing. Stump dumb you bet what song is that? You
1: know that one? That's uh that's get up off of that thing, which was in every family movie for a period of time. I feel like that was in like the Fat Albert movie. Oh yes. Or like the trailer for the Fat Albert movie or something. <laughs> or like the trailer
0: for the trailer for the fat Albert movie or something. <laughs> Uh, I'm pulling up the uh, I'm pulling up the DM right here because for some reason I don't have the it's on the list. There we go. Boom, got it. So Carter sends me this is yesterday, quite literally yesterday as of when we were recording this episode. Mm-hmm. Sends me a uh, meme from the account at Scott four number four at Scott four listener PJ Harvey Kaitel. and it is the <laughs> okay. It is the room with all the little tiny hills in it from stalker do you remember the room yeah uh-huh yeah mm-hmm. and it's peter in the foreground and joe and quagmire in the background and it says i'm sculpt i'm
1: sculpting in time lois how friggin' sweet is that <laughs> <laughs> so thank you carter
0: for sending that into the show
1: thank you producer carter thank you for sending your memes into the show your our uh, our peter griffin theme memes i um we do appreciate it any memes you can send us. Uh, I forgot to mention, uh, thank you for that A um, for that submission, Marin. Um We will be also adding that to the it's on the menu catering line um, when we get that stuff done. Yes. So we have Ste- Matt's Lunch. Yeah, Matt's Lunch, we have-
0: Stepdad Burritos, and Stepdad Enchiladas. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Matt's, li- how expensive do you think Matt's lunch is, Mason? Where do you think we should price that out at?
1: <laughs> Where do you think we should price? I was just thinking that. Uh, that is, um, that's gonna be, uh, oh man, I think that's a solid, th- a solid, f- fuck, anything I see either seems too expensive or too cheap. Uh, I'm gonna say 3 I was thinking $3
0: on the fucking... <laughs> on the fucking nose so you know what i'm willing to i'm willing to meet you on that one let's go 375 make a couple extra 75 cents people want to buy it i think we can handle
1: that that's what that's 15 quarters you can find 15 quarters for man's yeah
0: you can fucking dig 15 quarters out of underneath your car seat or inside of your couch (laughs) what about for the stepdad burrito and stepdad enchilada i'm thinking Uh, those what do you i'm sorry i asked you first
1: uh, I was thinking burrito should go for a buck or free for Patreon subscribers. <laughs> okay, sure. And the enchilada can just be two, because you need two different kind of salsas. We gotta get like you know we gotta factor in the cost of making these things. We gotta get two different kind of salsas for this.
0: It is it does make sense that Matt's lunch is kind of the most expensive thing because a it is sort of our it's s- the gourmet <laughs> item. <laughs> it is the signature <laughs> item of it's on the menu catering service. Um, it is the kind of the thing that started it all, and it's a three course. Situation, you know, you have the Browning salad. Yeah, <laughs> that's your first yeah. course. That's your starter, uh, and then you have the warm pasta with cold chicken for your entree. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and for dessert, you have a leftover pumpkin pancake that already has been like syruped and buttered and stuff. So,
1: is there a bite out of that pancake when you get it? Honestly, if we want to stay Just true, like a cartoon sized bike, you want to stay
0: true to the form. No, but. That okay. might be our sort of signature, sort of like spin on the whole thing, you know.
1: Yeah, you get a guaranteed you get a guaranteed bite from either me or Noah on your pumpkin pancake. <laughs> we'll hand
0: deliver it to you. Uh, we'll hand deliver it to you, Mason. How are you Noah. doing, buddy?
1: Oh man, works and stressful. Not going to lie. Sure. I have a. By the time this this episode drops, I will have completed my three day birthday weekend. Uh, by the time this episode, by the time I am recording this episode. I'm 26 years old. By the time this episode drops, I will be freshly 27. Woo! Uh, yeah. Looking forward to outliving Kurt Cobain and all those schm- those schmucks there. Those, uh, those sad people that that struggled with addiction Jesus, and gave dude. us great art. <laughs> sometimes, Jesus
0: Christ, dude. I was I was thinking though, you do have a whole year to prove uh, that you don't belong in the 27 Club, if you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know, I was freaking out about this a little bit, but I went to the, a trusted person, my, my psychologist, my therapist, and I was like, you know, this is bugging me a little bit. I think I'm going to die young. And my therapist was like, what if you just didn't think you were going to die young? <laughs> yeah. I, th- the session ended and I walked outside and it was a beautiful day and I was like, I got a long ass life ahead of me, man. This feels good. Hell yeah. And you know what? <laughs> no bad thoughts. Go to therapy, folks. It's very helpful. Uh, yeah. I'm glad Actually I might have something to recommend later related to that, but we can put a pen in that. Noah, how are you, buddy? I'm doing
0: good. Um not really thinking about the twenty seven club except for the fact that you're about to be twenty seven. You're not gonna die young, Mason. I very much believe that. Uh I'm willing to put money on the fact that I don't think that you're gonna die young. That's how much I believe that.
1: Yeah, and I just got back from the doctor and the doctor said that everything was looking good. I just need to take weekly vitamin D pills that I don't get the wintertime sadness. But other than that, I'm a picture of health. You're like
0: opposite Lana Del Rey in that sense. She's got the summertime yes. sadness, you get the wintertime sadness. Maybe you guys should uh, yes. meet up and talk about some stuff.
1: Seasonal affective disorder is real, my man. Totally. Do you have that stuff up in Oregon?
0: I mean, yeah, <laughs> because, because <laughs> it sucks. It fucking is insane, and... You know, no one's really, you know, used to be the respite of, well, at least I can go somewhere and not be in my house. But guess what?
1: Can't do shit. Can't go
0: anywhere. You got to go outside. We actually did. This is not a fucking joke. We did just get an elliptical for the house, though, so that... That's cool. Is cool. That is a good move. It is a good move. Shout out to my dad on that one uh, for getting the elliptical.
1: Oh, because, yeah, and you can watch TV while doing that shit, too, man.
0: It rocks. Yes, that's exactly right. He's going to put a TV, like, right in front of the whole thing. We got the whole little setup going, so that's actually going to be huge because... Yeah, you can catch up on The Queen's Gambit. I, that's what I was thinking, Mason. <laughs> oh my god, I said, "Dad, get a fucking get a fucking elliptical so I can watch The Queen's Gambit while I throw up on the elliptical from going too hard." You read my, oh my mind, goodness. dude. Um, yeah, dude. but I did want I actually did write this down to share. Um, norm, I do a drive just to get out of the house, you know, pretty much every single day. Uh, and today I decided because I'm not technically in Portland, Portland, I decided I'm going to go into the Portland proper, see what's going on over there. It's been a really Mm -hmm. beautiful fall, uh, up in Portland. The leaves have been absolutely just beautiful, just absolutely fucking amazing. All different colors, really beautiful mixtures of colors. So I went over into like the North area of Portland. It's a little bit of a trek from where I am and I was coming back to my uh, my my dad's place where I'm currently living. <laughs> and I shit you not, I've never seen this before in person in my entire life, but I can scratch it off the literally scratch it off the list. Scratch off
1: the list, okay? Okay. I saw a car
0: on fire on the freeway, legitimately on fire, wow. engulfed in flames. It was oh my god! It was crazy. I literally, my instinct was take a photo of this, but then I realized that's insane. Just keep driving. This is like a real thing that's happening. So, right on I eighty uh, four, going. I think technically it's going west. Yeah, I think technically going west. Uh, Holy shit! I saw a blue smart car on fire in the shoulder. Oh my god! Yeah, of the shoulder in the shoulder of the off ramp uh like in northeast portland so very scary truly i was like holy shit there was a car yeah that sounds fire. terrifying
1: yeah. holy shit so i just wanted to share that's that pretty fucked up though. it was it was kind of yeah. cool to see
0: honestly i was like never actually seen that in person but like it's equally it's like a train wreck you don't want to look away but you can't really help yourself, yeah so that's it
1: exact yeah you ever seen that how about that I can't remember ever seeing a, a car engulfed in flames. I think I walked past some, like, charred wreckage of a car which had just been on fire, which in, on, of all places, the road going up to Griffith Observatory, oh, you know, that kind of, like, windy road. Yeah. And then one time, uh, right before I moved out of L.A., I only see car wreckage in, like, Los Angeles National Parks, like so. <laughs> like California Parks. There was a guy, like, I was just driving out of the Angeles Crest Highway and there's just like a car, which is like front end, which is completely smashed, and a guy walking uh, away from it. And I was like, hey, man, do you need a ride to town or something? Uh, but I passed a tow truck coming the other direction. So at least it was like. Still, it fucking sucks, man. I, that sounds terrifying uh, and also uh, beautiful. So I get the instinct to take a picture. Uh, but also you're behind the wheel of a car, so I'm glad you did not. Responsible driving is an official position of it's on the list. We are 20 minutes into the episode, have not talked about a single <laughs> thing yet. That is okay. That's what we're trying to do on the show now, is have a good time. So um, so that's a thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is a thing. I saw a car on fire, uh, and I just wanted to share that uh, with the, with the listeners. Careful, guys, out there. Yeah. Careful out on the fucking roads.
1: Uh, that, you oof. want to talk about um, some underrated media, Mason? All right, let's do it. Yep, I am... Let me just pull my notes up here. I am
0: ready. Okay. So we have a Mason's album pick today and a Noah movie pick Boop. today. Normally, Boop. little tiny peep behind the production curtain, normally what we're going to try and do is every three episodes, we're going to try and have a guest. We still want to have guests on this show. We love having guests come on the show just because of scheduling. Uh, This week, we are not following that new sort of idea and, like, rule that we've set up ourselves. It's not even really a rule. It's just kind of something we're trying to shoot for. It's like a guideline. Yeah, because Mason and I both have things, you know, like we've talked about that we want to talk about on the show as well. And when we have the guests come on, you know, we like to give them an opportunity to talk about something they want to talk about. So, just trying to to give us all sort of an equal opportunity in that respect. Yeah, a
1: little more democratic. Nothing against our guests. I've loved every single guest we've had on. I am excited for anybody else that wants to come on the show, but... We are the hosts of this show, and we got some shit we want to talk about sometime, so... That's exactly right. The very episode after this, we we're actually in between recording this episode and it dropping. We we're recording an episode with a guest, so we're on top of schedule still, folks. Again, just because of scheduling, didn't quite work out for release, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't? Who cares? Who gives who a cares? shit? Who gives a shit? So,
0: Mason, this was... So this week, it's an album choice by me. <laughs> yeah, this week, it's an al- a Mason album choice, and we are doing things on this show... That are unprecedented in both the album category
1: and the movie yes. category. But Mason, please yes. preview the album that you brought on today. So the album this week is our very first stand-up comedy album. And it is from 2003. And it is by a uh, stand-up comedian, essayist, Daily Show correspondent, maybe former? I don't know. Writer, actor, Lewis Black. His album Rules of Enragement. Stand up comedy album. Claps claps, oh, claps, 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 claps. I'm claps, doing claps. a
0: snap because I'm holding my mic because yes. that's what I like to do on the, the show the now. Um, yeah, Mason. But yes. So, yeah. What was the inspiration behind picking a comedy album? This is, like we said, this is uh, uncharted territory. This is unprecedented for it's on the list in the almost yeah. 50 episodes that we've done. This is the first comedy album. Why'd you do but, it?
1: Yeah. I don't know because I was thinking about, like, um,. Just what I listened to as a kid and really liked. And when I look back on that time, um, there are albums, of course, throughout my life there's been albums, but just for whatever reason, I wanted to come back for this week when it was my choice to do an album. I had another one that I wanted to do, but I was looking at our kind of list of things we want to talk about, and I saw this Lewis Black stand up comedy album, and I'm like, let's mix things up a little bit. Uh, let's try something new. It was really more of that. It was just sort of like, let's stir the pot a little oh, damn. bit and see. Well, we can what this what this what discussion comes out of this, uh, and so yeah, Noe, before we start with uh, discussion in earnest, had you ever heard any Lewis Black's st- uh, stand up material, or if you had not, what was your relationship, um, to this particular performer, uh, prior?
0: I'd never really heard anything like in full, <clears throat> I can easily say that. Didn't really watch Jon Stewart's Daily Show like really when it was on the air because. Political Mm. commentary satire was just not something I was into when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Only more recently have I sort of appreciated political satire because I'm actually paying attention these last couple years to what's going on because I actually can vote now. Uh, So it concerns me a little bit more. Um, So never really saw him on The Daily Show. Never really saw anything that he had done in total. I had heard it. I was very aware of who Louis Black was. He just wasn't really a guy that I ever... Really had heard maybe anything of except for just like brief like him being upset. Like I knew that his whole thing was that he was yeah. the angry guy. He was an angry. So you comic. saw like
1: Inside Out. Yes. Did you see? Uh, did you ever see? Accepted. I never did, but it was filmed at Chapman. Believe it or not. Oh no shit, really? Yeah, that's that that
0: lawn, I think, that they're standing in front or whatever the poster is of accepted. Yeah. There that's on Chapman campus, and a lot of that was filmed so, on the cap campus of Chapman, so. So
1: wait, was was Chapman the South Harmon Institute of Technology? You fucking know it is, brother. Wow. You know what's funny about the South Harmon Institute of Technology? Uh <laughs> I do now, brother. <laughs> it's shit. Yeah. It's shit. You you put the letters in a row and it spelled out shit, and they're like what a mistake. <laughs> and everybody
0: in the theater laughs so hard they piss their diapers because they're wearing adult diapers to go see it because did it's you, a bunch you, of babies going to see that movie. Am I right? Because I'm did alpha. You,
1: did you ever see Accepted? No,
0: I've never seen it.
1: I just know that it's still in the Accepted? chat. Okay. So, so speaking of the the, the the generational gap between us, that was a big time sleepover movie. Sure. It was the DVD of Accepted. So it, that's where I first heard of Lewis Black. We can come back to that later. Noah, uh, continue. Well, on. I was going
0: to say, isn't Justin Long and jo- Justin Long and Jonah Hill aren't accepted, right?
1: Yeah, Justin Long jo- and Jonah, yeah, and Blake Lively, I
0: think. Oh, shit.
1: Hottie alert. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually, I keep, keep talking. I want to pull up the cast of accepted and see if there's anyone else notable in it. Yeah,
0: but yeah, basically, didn't really know Lewis Black all too well. Knew that he was the voice of anger in Inside Out, like Mason said. But yeah, didn't really know a whole lot about it, or a lot about him. Didn't know anything about this special at all. Um, but after listening to it, I have some thoughts. Mason, do you have the Ooh. cast of accepted it up?
1: Uh, I'm just looking through. Um, kind of the only... Well, he, there's uh, some of your favorite character actors. You got Columbus Short. You got Maria Thayer, who I had a crush on in this Is movie. Is DJ Qualls in that movie? Uh, no. I think you're thinking of Adam Hirschman. <laughs> No, that like would DJ be Adam Wolverine. Hirschman that you're thinking of. Uh, Anne Cusack, sister of oh. uh, Joan and John. Wow, uh, th- uh, is is in this movie as Justin Long's mother? Uh, but that's probably uh, it, right? Yeah, yeah. No one else I recognize. Oh, I'm sorry. Anthony Held is in this, the um, psychiatrist from Silence of the Lambs. Okay, so. The Warden of Science on the Future. Quick,
0: quick note about him, actually. I have a little weird connection to that man. Are you ready for this? I'm always ready for an Anthony Held
1: uh, anecdote, yes. Is
0: it held or healed?
1: Healed? Okay.
0: I think yeah. it's healed, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, uh, I was very involved with the theater program where I went to high school at the art school that I went to, and for like, I think pretty much since I was in high school, 9th through 12th grade, except for one year, every spring... We would go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is in Ashland, Oregon, which is where Southern Oregon University is. As far as regional theater is concerned, it's actually very highly regarded as, like, very good regional theater, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is. And Mm. they did a production of My Fair Lady. And Anthony Heald played Eliza Doolittle's father- in the production oh, of My Fair Lady and he was by far and away the best part of the entire production and I will always remember him as Eliza Doolittle's father in that production of My Fair Lady
1: more than anything nice. else that he's ever been in. Nice. Uh, I believe he played the uptight dean of the Harman, of Harmon University in that movie. He played yes, dean. How about this for a character name, Dean Richard Van Horn? Oh shit. That's fuck. Uh, Kellen Lutz, I think is in the Twilight movies Was also in this. Uh, I think. Hey, Mason. That I, oh, Jim O'Hare was in this movie. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, shout out Jim I'm O'Hare. Sorry. We can, yeah, we can stop. Chicago legend, right? Yeah, Chicago boy. Mason. Big time. Big. Yes. What do you like about Louis Black? why you, what do you like about him? Uh, so I think that when I was, I first, um, encountered this album uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about the uh, this 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 thing that came into my life when I was in middle school, which is a big old hard drive of just music and CDs. Like, we just got this hard oh, drive full of music. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, and on it was a comedy subfolder, and there was, like, Richard Pryor in there, some George Carlin stuff, Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Engvall, all your Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> classics, and then also uh, three albums by Lewis Black. I believe that they were this one, Rules of Enragement, um, maybe three or four, Rules of Enragement, the White Album, The End of the Universe. um, And I saw another album of his just like kind of outtakes from this album, this particular um set, I think. In any case, I recognized the name from um, seeing Accepted in a lot of sleepovers and I was like, this guy's funny, I want to see what he's about. Sure. And so I did what I did back then, which was look up his, um, look him up on, on iTunes. Of course. And then find the top five bits, like the top five bought tracks or whatever, yeah, yeah. and put those on my iPod because I didn't want to listen to the whole thing. And two, I didn't have a lot of space in my iPod mini. And so I had to be very selective with what I put Absolutely. on there because I wanted to put a lot of stuff on there. Uh, and so one of the bits that I remember for sure was his, uh, his I think it was his most bought um, uh, single or whatever, his most bought track on iTunes was his uh, rant from this particular uh, one about greed, the nine-minute kind of, like, midpoint of the second sure. there. And I was, like, listening to it the first time when I was in seventh grade, it was, like, the funniest fucking thing I ever heard in my life. And this is, and what, mid-2000s, right? This is, like, 2007. Okay. And, like, you know, I was growing up in the middle of, like, in, like, the Bush presidency and, like, this era that he's talking about, yeah. but I don't, like, have a lot of firsthand memories of. I can remember, like, kind of history around it but nothing like i don't remember like watching iraq war footage on cnn or whatever sure. like everyone else was doing you know kind of like that thing so this is from like kind of recent history i always liked history uh, and he was talking about something that like i kind of lived through and it was like i thought it was interesting to hear uh, a perspective on that that was like funny and that i kind of like related to it was a, a weird angry 14 year sure. 13 14 year old or like someone that was like beginning to see the world in a certain way and could not reconcile, like, uh, his, his feelings of anger and sort of helplessness, basically. And this guy was sort of, at least, it, it was the first person that I encountered, like, kind of media-wise, that was, in that was, like, on my level, kind of, I felt with that, which is maybe saying something, but anyways. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. Um. But, yeah, it just really resonated for me. And then when I could find the space for it for somehow, I put the entire set on my iPod and would just, like, listen, listen and re-listen and re-listen to this and his first three albums and just, like, kind of shuffle through through him. And it was a big uh, – that's what I, I – it, it kind of primed me, I think, for listening to podcasts in a yeah, way. Yeah, for almost. sure, for sure. Because um, I would just listen to these, the to like, stand-up, basically. Um, well, that actually
0: brings me to a yeah. – like I actually have a couple – questions related to that idea a of listening to a comedy album and specifically this one would do you think it's fair to say and i genuinely don't know so correct me if it's not that this guy Mm -hmm. lewis black was the first quote-unquote adult comedian
1: that you were exposed to probably honestly he's like the first Um... guy to like really be using swears well, and a really like... Well, that's what's interesting is it's like right before I found this album for the and listened to it for the first time was like 2006 was when Dane Cook's album was super big. Yes. And so Dane Cook is not someone I would qualify as in a quote-unquote adult comedian. Sure. But he was definitely the first person that I heard using like swears. Sure. Uh, and so, but Dane Cook did not kind of have the faculty of language and writing that lewis black does sure and i would even like read lewis like books like memoirs that lewis black wrote just because i liked how he wrote about things basically um when i was like around that age still um but i guess for all intents and purposes lewis black would be the first i guess adult comedian that wasn't just doing like kind of jerry seinfeld like kind totally of, isn't it funny the airport going to the airport it, you know like i that can't kind of stand shit.
0: getting patted down by tsa i can't stand <laughs> it i always go in i say i don't want the pat down and then it goes off and they're touching my nuts George. they're <laughs> touching my nuts at the airport <laughs> i'm always asking them not to touch my nuts it more sounds like the comedy fairy from fairly odd Parents*, who is that is that character for it's that got it yeah
1: yeah 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 like, you're gonna 100%. give me
0: comedy backup don't laugh at the setup laugh at yeah. the punchline <laughs> um oh my as, god like i think adult comedian is like an interesting distinction because it's like you got people like it's gonna come up later for me jim gaffigan who's very yeah, sp- yeah. you know clean somewhat family friendly uh you know doesn't use a lot of vulgar language obscene language like these crazy ideas pretty straightforward content as far as that's concerned. But this guy is tackling sex and politics and the stupidity of culture, just sort of as a whole, they're more, you know, loftier ideas, you know? And so it's adult in that sense. And I don't know if I have the actual figure in front of me, but I'm going to look it up and I'm going to add it to the fast facts. He swears so much in this album it's insane in a
1: later in a later album i think it might have been the carnegie hall performance in a later set i should say um which i bought that cd from best buy the carnegie hall performance because it was not on the hard drive uh he says something uh to the effect of uh i use the word fuck like a comma and i think about i think about that particular phrase a lot sure and i also think that it like that's just that's just his material he throws the fuck word a lot around a lot he
0: loves to say the fuck word he he loves to say the fuck or <laughs> he loves to say the fuck word he loves to say, yeah Yeah. it says right here i'll this is a little uh, <clears throat> premature fast fact but it says right here in this album, Black swears close to 200 times, an average Ooh. of every 20 seconds, and says close, or excuse me, and says fuck close to 100 times, an average of every 40 seconds. So it's,
1: yeah. you know,
0: this is Wolf of Wall Street territory, folks.
1: Yeah, this is like, uh, yeah, big time. Wolf of Wall Street territory. Is that the one that has the most fuck words in it? I think
0: it is the one that has well, the most words. Well, there's fuck the fuck movie, words.
1: which doesn't count. Or, because nobody's seen Fuck the Movie, but in movies that people have seen, it's like that, and there's another one where they say the fuck word a lot. I don't know. They,
0: it's <laughs> awesome.
1: I love like, to swear! I love to swear. It's cool to swear. It's cool to swear. You, this is a pro-swearing podcast. You should swear uh, as often as you get the. Ch- Do you remember being in middle school, and then like kind of being free to roam the halls and be like, oh man, I can start swearing yes. now? This feels really cool. Yes. This feels really cool. I remember
0: uh, I was at lunch, and I like said fuck loudly and the like can't imagine you doing that honestly okay well grow a pair of imagination balls real quick and think about it (laughs) and i just said it loudly and a teacher that i really wanted the respect of happened to walk by at that time uh and hear me say it and i literally remember being so embarrassed but i said to the person who like they like pushed me in like a way or whatever. Like, like I like said fuck in response to something that this person did. I was like, You have to go talk to him. You have to go tell him why I said it. I don't want him to think that I'm a bad kid, basically. And I got like freaked out. And the other person was like, I'm not going to fucking do that, dude. <laughs> I was like, Okay, no worries. Um, but the other question I had for you, Mason, is in regards to the idea of the comedy album. I feel like the comedy album is not important in the same way that it used to be, like, like way back in, like, the 70s and 80s and stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. But, like, this came out in 2003. No yeah. one really cares about the comedy album now because you can look up clips of people on YouTube whenever you want, you know? And so there is, yeah. like, a specialness... To the comedy album, and so are you a are you pro comedy album? Where do you stand on the idea of the comedy album as a whole? No,
1: I'm very pro comedy album. Like I had a t- I had a couple just physical comedy CDs and I didn't really have. The physical media that I collected wasn't typically CDs. Um, actually, that's I don't think that's true. There, I definitely had the Carnegie Hall performance by Lewis Black, and I definitely had uh, I think Mitch altogether, whichever that first Mitch Hedberg oh, okay, uh, sure. CD was. But yeah, I mean. On that hard drive, I went through that entire like kind of comedy album section and then would just also like download full comedy albums, like through high school. I, I kind of fell off listening to full comedy albums in the middle of college, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I th- maybe this is my backdoor way of saying that the comedy album, like where it's just an hour of a stand ups material, is kind of an underrated and underappreciated because it used to be the only way that you could uh, interact with this content if you couldn't see them in a club or something. Um, now, the process is different. You know, anybody can put their stuff up on YouTube, and that's beautiful, And it's in, or Instagram or wherever, and there's entire new comedy uh, that could only exist through that medium. That as uh, well as terms... the fact
0: that, like, <clears throat> specials are so much more frequent now than they used yeah, to be. Definitely. It feels like everybody gets a special that goes on Netflix or prime or something like that. Whereas back in the day, like getting a special wasn't like your intro to people. That was like people knew who you were enough to the point where you were like awarded a special almost, even if it was just a 30 minute, like comedy central presents type thing, you had to have a certain following for that to happen. Now it's like this person that you may have never heard of before. They're getting a special and that's how you're going to find out about them. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely, um, definitely, and I like. I, I don't watch as many of as as many of them as. I don't want to qualify it. I don't watch a ton of Netflix or or, or Prime comedy specials. Whenever one kind of seems to pop with the culture, I give it a shot a, a shot like Nanette or whatever. Sure, uh, but it's not a thing that I seek out really to watch anymore. Even though it's always something that I get a lot of pleasure from when I do it. Um, I don't know, man. I I like uh. I like listening. I like listening to comedy, and I, I still do. It was nice to listen to something besides music. I listen to a lot of music during my day, just at work. Sure. Um, I listen to kind of podcasts first thing in the morning to get me going, or like kind of on my breaks, or if I'm going on a walk or something. I don't listen to comedy a lot, and that used to be uh, what I put in my ears all the time. And it was nice to kind of switch up the routine this week and listen to one that I had heard, hadn't heard in a long time, <clears throat> actually. That's not true. The last time I heard this album all the way through was when I was putting Ikea t- furniture together uh, in my apartment with cousin Luke. That is a perfect time to put this album on
0: because that is truly yeah. rules of enragement in that moment. Yeah.
1: because And also I had brought up, um, I think, the Minnesota bit because Luke was from, grew up, spent some time in Minnesota sure. when he was growing up. And I mentioned the, the Minnesota bit and I played it on the car trip back. And uh, when it was time, he had to fuck off and do something. <laughs> and uh, jesus christ okay <coughs> and so i was like making the ikea furniture i like doing ikea furniture so i'm like fuck it i'll just listen to lewis black while i'm doing this basically uh and it helped me pass the time listen to this album
0: well, that was probably
1: what a year and a half two it years was, ago uh that would have been 2017 okay
0: so almost
1: early 2018 like three two or three years ago more so two or three clo- yeah yeah probably closer to Two and three, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, time was condensed in, in Los Angeles for me. I couldn't tell you exactly when things <laughs> happened. Yeah, you were you were fucking um,
0: robo-tripping most of the time, if I remember
1: correctly, right? Uh, Straight up, and that was even before uh, some bad things happened to me in August of last year. But we, <laughs> Jesus Christ, all right. Well, I'm just going to say it. I don't like
0: the comedy album, and that's a weird thing to say. Let me say that differently. Growing up, I didn't like the comedy album. I was always, right, okay. and I don't necessarily like and i think it stems more from the fact of not liking a comedy album more so from the fact that and i just was having this conversation with my dad the other day i don't like live recordings i don't like okay live mm-hmm. music recording albums yeah. i would just would rather listen to the studio version or i would rather watch a live performance but i don't like live of audio recording very much because I feel like I either okay. want to be hearing the studio version that I'm used to, or I want to be watching it because I feel like, I mean, without saying, even if you like an audio recording of a comedy album, you are missing an element to the performance by not being able to see the person talk. Like that just is something that you're missing. So it has more to do with the fact that I don't like live recording more so than the fact that I don't like comedy album recordings because there were actually a number of bits that i used to listen to growing up as well and i wrote them down my top three favorite like or i guess four in this case basically three what you'll understand why in a sec but like the the ones that really used to go on repeat in my head uh and in my earbuds that were strictly audio were jim gaffigan's hot pockets bit huge Great thing classic bit to just listen to and obviously you know it's, oh. it's different for him because it's like he does the like he's looking at me kind of weird like voice and that's a very yeah. auditory thing there is a you know a visual element to it of like the way he like moves his mouth and like he does a little different thing with his body and his physicality but it's a very audio driven joke
1: it, right. It's in the it's in the voice more than it's in his physicality.
0: Exactly. And so that was a big yeah. one. Uh, my dad showed me that one. And then same with Jim Gaffigan, but I think it was on a different album. It was on his King Baby album, the bit about bowling. Mm. Do you remember his bit about bowling? I don't remember the bowling bit. My dad still quotes this to me when we're like trying to figure out what we can do because there's a bit in the bowling bit that Jim Gaffigan says – where it's like bowling is always like somebody's last option to do, basically, and he's like, and uh-huh. everyone's trying to figure out what they're gonna do, and he says, "Oh, well, we could go bowling, or we could kill ourselves," and that's, <laughs> that's the, and that's the joke, and then everyone laughs, and he goes, "Oh, I think we'll go bowling instead," you know, like that's the Jim Gaffigan bit, and my dad still yeah. will do that where he'd be like, "Yeah, we could have Mexican food for dinner." Or we could kill ourselves, you know, or something like that. And I'm like, Dude, That rules. That's a good, <laughs> it's a good dad thing. That to, you know. rules. Good bit, Matt. Yeah, good bit, dad. Uh, and so those were the Jim Gaffigan ones. And then Brian
1: Regan's Stupid in School bit. Do you know that one? Mm. I don't know that bit. My Brian Regan bit is the eye doctor bit.
0: See, I don't know that one either. We were on different ends of the Brian Regan audio yeah, spectrum. Yeah. not going to go through the entire bit because we haven't really talked about loose Black at all yet. No, no. But <laughs> – there's that one and then the one that uh, the other one that you mentioned earlier, Dane Cook, the BK lounge bit oh classic shit
1: BK BK lounge is a classic. I mean no matter what you think of Dane Cook and I think a lot of things about Dane Cook, uh, the BK lounge bit pretty impeachable. It's like he left his mark on the world with just that yeah. if that was it, I would be satisfied but uh well Dane. You're doing it. That's all we got to say. Listen,
0: I got some sympathy toward Dane Cook, but that is an entirely different podcast. Either way, (laughs) uh, there were bits growing up that I did listen to that were purely auditory, and I've never seen the actual physical manifestation of them in a special or in a video or whatever. But I crave that. That's what I would rather be doing, and I'm not a big fan of live recording. But Mason... Here's what I have to say about this. I had never heard this album before. I'm pointing my mic stand at you through the Zoom call.
1: Uh, Yes. It's hitting me right on the forehead. It's going bonk, 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 bonk. Going to horny
0: jail. Bonk, go to horny jail, Mason. (laughs) Uh, And the first two thirds of this, Mm -hmm. I didn't like very much, personally. Mm -hmm. But the back third, Greed Mm -hmm. Onward, is very good. It still holds up after 17 years of being out in the world because that time period is so complex and no one really understands it still that hearing him talk about it while it was going on, while we were in the throes of, you know, mission accomplished era, you know, politics. Yes, exactly. It still Mm -hmm. holds up because no one knows what the fuck
1: happened still. It's awesome. That's, That's, that's what I really appreciate about this album, uh, is this last half starting from Greed. Um, I, I'm with you. The first sort of two bit parts of it, the kind of region specific Minnesota stuff is a little, little hackneyed. I, you have memories of it though. yeah, 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 uh, I do, uh, we used to go, actually, when Cousin Luke lived in, in, uh, Minnesota, we used to go up around Valentine's Day and just go and say hi on their farm. That's nice. Uh, not like the depths of Minnesota winter, but definitely chilly, so I understand. And Um, you're from just
0: the Midwest in general, so it's a little bit closer to you, I think.
1: Exactly, so if you don't get it, if that's not your thing, I think that the, uh, I, I, I think that him doing the bit as a Scandinavians going to Minnesota for the first time still really holds okay. Sure, up yeah, really yeah, funny. I like that, uh, especially Sven. <laughs> this is shit. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> I must find a new land, and then the whole thing about the wooden ships is really, really fucking funny. Um, but yeah, sometimes some of the stuff gets really gripey. I like his stuff about Ireland in that part, though. I think because I am Irish, and it makes me like. Uh, that probably planted the Ireland travel bug was when he said that there's no AA in Ireland because if there was a meeting, it would be at a bar. I'm like, that sounds like a fun place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, again, that sounds good, boys. Let's do that.
1: Uh, but again, it's it's kind of – that whole section is very sort of gripey. And then starting from greed, when he's talking about uh, the sort of financial malfeasance of the early Bush administration because Enron – uh, many don't realize, and if I strongly recommend Alex Gibney's documentary Enron: The Smartest Guys in the Room, uh, just a side recommendo. Um, but George Bush's uh, involvement with those Enron guys almost cost him, could have cost him his second term. We don't know, yep. but nine eleven happened, so it so it saved uh, him. him. <laughs> so it saved him. But some of the things that he's talking about in that section really got on into my head as a like a someone that was. I remember listening to this album around when the financial meltdown was happening and it's not talking about that, but it's sort of getting at the same sort of base principle of capitalism, basically. And there's the same sort of hurt feelings
0: as well. that sort of like attached to that. It's the same sort of sentiment, regardless if it's the Iraq war, nine 11 or the financial collapse.
1: Right. And the other thing I want to say is that I think that hearing him talk about billionaires who spend their money on useless shit made me realize maybe we don't need to have billionaires but that could be a cut subject for another podcast sure. and then he goes into the iraq war stuff and like you were saying even now it's like kind of a confusing like clusterfuck that nobody really can get their head around uh but he's talking about it as it's happening and when i was hearing it for the first time in like 2007 that was like One of the first big things besides 9-11 that I can remember happening in my lifetime, and I remember it suddenly we were in war, basically. That's how I remember it, and then that was just sort of, like, a fact of life that we had to accept, and then hearing when I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade or whatever, like, an adult being like, no, it doesn't make sense, this doesn't make sense, it's like Vietnam all over again, basically. I was like, hey, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute. I'm not alone out here. Nobody else (laughs) likes war. (laughs) Um, And I think that that stuff still holds up, uh, especially him talking about uh, Dick Cheney. Yes. And how uh, Dick Cheney made money off the Iraq war. This is the original Dick Cheney made money off the Iraq war bit. Um, Original meme, baby. (laughs) Yeah, and all through uh, the end here, and I like the the last note that he ends on, uh, the sense of humor, how it's important to have a sense of humor. I don't like how he illustrates that point sometimes is, all, is, is uh, just to say. Uh, he says some things that, uh, I don't know, a little more reductive than I am, you know, would, would pers- personally say is all I'll say, but I think he leaves on a nice a nice note that really, I talked uh, about this so much. Noah, so you liked the last third of this album and it made the album good for well, you. Well, I, I think it's interesting um, that you more, are not yeah. crazy
0: about some of the sentiments in that, in that idea of, like, having a sense of humor or whatever, because at least what my takeaway was from that section and what he's saying there... I'm sorry, did I misunderstand what you were saying?
1: Yeah, no, I just don't like that he... uh, The the sort of the punchline of the flap-flap joke or, like, people being, like, desert people or whatever. I'm like, that's a little... I don't like that. I don't like that sort of, like, casual uh, sort of racism of that area. That was very prevalent at that time, even if you were sort of politically good, I don't like that. That's all I'm trying to say. I like the sentiment, the broader sentiment he's saying, like, perfectly gotcha, I like Gotcha, gotcha. I
0: can. I, I feel that, that's fair. And all I was gonna say is that that broader sentiment that I did like, which I had never really thought about before, was they dehumanized those people because they made it seem like they didn't have a sense of humor. They they took away something I, okay, that was mm-hmm. so fundamental to being human which is having a sense of humor. They made them seem like all business, you know, and they dehumanize them in that way. And I thought that was a really interesting point that i had never thought of before. I was much younger when sort of that whole shit was going on. And so I wasn't privy to the way that news was covering mm-hmm. it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to hear someone talk about that time and hear someone talk about that idea was really fresh and something that I hadn't really considered. And just sort of the way that things do, people do demonize other people and they make them seem to just be all one thing instead of being an actual human being and having multitudes to them, you know? So I just thought that was a very interesting point that I had never really considered before, especially growing up when I did being how old that I was back then.
1: I like that that's your read on it. Um, Honestly, I do. I, I think that that's a fair read a fair read actually now that I'm that that you said that I, I've honestly never thought about it in that term in those terms before. I kind of applied that sentiment sort of wider thinking of, and I guess maybe this is just I didn't realize it but this is how I how I viewed the world where it's like the people that you can kind of trust are doing or, or are acting rightly will say or I don't know. I'm trying to explain my worldview but basically, The people who should be considered your enemies are people that don't have a sense of humor, basically. Because there's something... uh, Still applying it to sort of like a black and white view of the world, I I guess is what I'm trying to say. And not like... Because you're right, you're right. That is how we... I think a lot about uh, the media at the time, and especially the show 24, which won an Emmy and was the most popular thing, that it was like... Every single Muslim uh a uh, uh, brown person on that show was an enemy as far as i can remember yep um and just treated with absolutely no sense of humanity and i think a sense of humor is very uh essential to humanity i guess is maybe the point i was trying to get at earlier but but yeah that's what this this time was like and it's that's is it, that's a very dangerous very dangerous thing which is when you uh, I, I, I you're, you're right, you're right is what I'm trying to say It's a dangerous thing when you remove um, People's sensitive humor and people's humanity from from them it's, To make them the enemy Yeah, I
0: mean, it's just the way that they're depicted Because they're trying to send They, being the media, is trying to send you a very particular message And it got me thinking about yeah. you know, How there's, right now No one, older folks, a lot of older folks And then people who just want to be willfully ignorant Don't recognize that news lies to them and that there are certain news sources that lie to them and they just but they want them to lie to them in some cases and in some cases they don't know they're being lied to and they think that the other version of that is a lie you know what i mean yeah And just the way that information is controlled and so to me it was a lot more about depiction than it was the actuality of it because depiction and what we're being told is oftentimes much different from how it actually is. It's actually not quite right, as right. crazy as it's being made out to be. The
1: th- yeah, the thing that you got to remember uh, is that your television screen, where you are getting uh, information, where folks get their information from, or their laptop screen or whatever, it's a very small rectangle in a very big world.
0: Damn, and, Mason. You know, <laughs> it's 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 it's.
1: <sighs> I don't watch the fucking news, man. I just can't stomach it. Any any fucking side. I I, I can't. I I can't even listen to fucking NPR or anything. You know. I just <laughs> get the information from my community members. I just do my best to uh, take an eye. Like you know, read when I can. But just man, the news drives me up the fucking wall, man. Especially now. It's <laughs> Especially, insane, dude. Yeah. I. I In the 24th- It's almost quaint to listen. Yeah. It's almost quaint to listen to Lewis Black talk about like how shitty the Bush years were. And they were, they were absolutely awful. And there were eight of them. There were eight fucking Bush years. And this is from the very beginning and nobody knew they were about to get exactly. This hadn't
0: even come out when, when Bush had, you know, been reelected or whatever. And so, uh, just to think about what was to come for these folks and what, you know, comedy may or may not have been because, you know, people loved to talk about in 2016, well, at least Trump's going to be great for comedy. And then it, fucking sucked <laughs> and it was terrible yeah. and no one liked it and everyone was like actually Trump wasn't good for comedy actually comedy is insane right now um, it's just so interesting that we thought well at least because because Bush in theory was good for comedy quote unquote that Trump will be because they're both Republicans and then you have to think about it and you're like well I don't even know if Bush was good for comedy at the certain point yeah. they just knew how to or they just thought they knew how to handle it differently because Bush was a different type of of Republican than Trump is a different type yeah. of Republican. But that's not even really the point of what we're talking about, Mason. No. We're talking no, about no, Lewis no. Black. And my favorite line from this special is when he says it's in the greed bit is when he says, if you ask someone what their company does and they can't answer it in one sentence, it's illegal. And I thought that that was very smart and very funny because you hear people all the time, what do you do? Well, I'm a consultant for this hedge fund and we take people's money and we move it into one pocket. Just say you're a legalized criminal. Just say what I do is shitty and maybe immoral, but also maybe not immoral, maybe just uh, I... I went to USC and my dad gave me a job. Just say that also at the just end of the day. Just say that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's. oh God. That was my least favorite thing about going to networking events in LA was when people would say they're extremely long titles and it's just like, you fit that on a door, good for you. Like I just. <laughs> yeah, how much, how big is
0: your fucking like. I don't know what you call those things, but it's like that the thing you know in movies where the guy is
1: getting like the fired. pebbled glass, and they get it yes, like they scrape it off exactly. the pebbled glass there. Yeah. It's awesome. Oh man, society really took a downturn when we started putting people's titles on like little cards, flat, little cards, and not just like painted onto 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 speckled like glass you're a
0: private that. eye in the 1930s in yes. LA, like you're Sam Spade or something. Uh, yeah. But all to say, Mason, all to like say. what I was saying at the beginning. The first two thirds of this album, not very funny for me, not even very interesting to a certain level. I do think it's interesting a Uh little bit of the stuff where he talks about health and like wellness and stuff. He's like, no one knows really what they're talking about, which maybe was a lib thing to say then. But now has almost sort of gone the other direction where it's like, no, there's actually a lot of data and science about the way that certain food groups interact with our bodies, and now really it's up yeah. to us whether or not we want to continue to do that. We're probably not supposed to be eating meat either A as much as we do or at all, and we're probably supposed to be eating more nuts, fruits, and plants. Most people aren't doing that, but the science is out there to prove right. it otherwise, you know? So exactly, That's yeah. a little prescient as well. Not very funny, but just like, well, okay, well even in 2003 there was some like, Rumblings about what is actually happening, but now it just kind of feels dumb to even talk about a certain to a certain level, you know?
1: Yeah, it it it's especially considered what he tackles later on in the special. It seems like so kind of facile. Almost. I don't know if facile is the right word, but like just kind of kind of frivolous. I think is the word I was trying to say. Uh, and him talking about like. Uh, it, Bitching about going to the gym or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I do like the line where he said, "I do like the line that's like, uh, in New York City, uh, a place with the most amount of stairs on planet Earth, people pay forty bucks to go to the gym and use the stairmaster." Yes, like that's kind of like a Jerry Seinfeld tear joke, but the way he delivers it, I think, is really funny. True, his
0: delivery is very much, "I'm gonna be the angry guy," and that's kind of his whole shtick is that he's he's yeah, the angry yeah. guy, and it's interesting that social media didn't really exist at all. And now everybody is the angry guy, you know, online. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's another thing that kind of piqued my interest in him when I was younger is because I was used to stand-up comedy being a very together thing, guys in suits saying jokes to crowd, like to huge crowds. And this was a guy who was swearing in what sounded like a small theater, maybe a bar or something. Um, and it just sounded different from other comedy that I had heard. And I really, really liked that too.
0: Mason, do you have anything else to say? Yes. Or can I get into some fast facts real quick?
1: Uh, let's get into some fast facts. Uh, I think that my my choice line from this is uh, a line that I appreciate more having grown up a little bit. Every time is the worst time to be a child because adults never know shit. That's a good line. That is a very good line. What, what bit is that from? Do you remember? That's in the... Um, I think it's in... Homeland Security. It's around when he's talking about the uh, going to the air raid sirens and the air and the air drills. Yes, perfect. Yeah.
0: All right. So mostly yeah. facts about Louis Black here because, like I said, there aren't a lot of facts to be known about this special. Uh, but mostly facts about Mister Lewis Black himself. Uh, Black, Lewis Black recounts in his book, Nothing is Sacred, that he scored highly on the math section of his SAT exam and later applied to Yale, Princeton, Brown, Amherst, Williams, hmm. and Georgetown. Hmm. Every college that he applied to except Georgetown rejected him, but that, but by that point he decided that he did not want to go there, so he went to University of Maryland College Park for one year before transferring to UNC.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I think that he was a, a playwright in Chapel Hill. Is That's how he started his, his career in entertainment, basically started from my knowledge and memory. But that could be wrong, but that's a very good fast fact. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, Do you have any other fast yes. facts? Yes! I'm going to say them yeah. now.
0: Uh, okay. He earned an MFA degree at the Yale School of Drama in 1977 and was married for 10 months when he was 26 years old,
1: baby. Oh, right. Hey, how about that? I'm 26 now. <laughs> Can't imagine being married. I can't imagine maybe being married ever, but that's a question for that's another
0: question entirely. But dude, getting into the Yale School of Drama is not fucking easy, and he got in for playwriting at you know a very young age. So shout out to Lewis Black for uh, getting into that program. That's crazy.
1: Definitely. Yeah. He
0: started out as a playwright at the Laurie Beachman Theater, formerly known as the West Bank Cafe Downstairs Theater Bar, uh, an 80-seat dinner theater in the basement of the West Bank Cafe in the Hell's Kitchen area of New York City. Black's stand-up comedy began as an opening act for the plays that he was writing. He was also an MC at times. After a management change at the theater, Black left and began working as a stand-up comedian exclusively. So that's sort of Mm. how the, the origin of Louis Black began. And he sounds like he was involved with some pretty renegade theater folk in the day as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would be, that's, ah, man, to be the MC at a small, like, uh, small black box theater and then have that develop into a, uh, a stand up career. How about that? What a thing. What a career path.
0: Uh, I already said this fact already, but I'll just say it again. In the album, Black swears in Rules of Enragement. Uh, he swears close to 200 times, an average of t- every 20 seconds, says fuck close to 100 times, an average of every 40 seconds. And the last fact, which I thought was very interesting, is Lewis Black has served as the ambassador for voting rights for the ACLU since 2013. So that's interesting Hmm. as well, involved in the ACLU in that way. So those are the fast facts that I have, Mason. Uh, My Mercedes valuable player for rules of enragement is the who's fucking who bit where he talks about Dick Cheney and Halliburton and really sort of digs into that whole thing. And he says, Mr. Mm -hmm. President, you should give your $31 million back, you know. And he said, no, I don't think so. Thank you for your input, Lewis, or like whatever that whole bit
1: was. (laughs) Uh, Lewis, you should go fuck yourself. Uh, Lewis,
0: (laughs) you should go fuck yourself. Um, So that's my Mercedes valuable player for this. Mason, what is your Mercedes valuable player?
1: Uh, I think it has to be sort of uh, the greed bit. If you're gonna hear one bit from this uh, from this this special here this hour, it will be the greed bit. It's nine minutes long, basically. Um, but he he talks about, I think uh, just how stupid having a lot of money is in a really entertaining way. And there's a fun little sidebar about Martha Stewart and how yes. uh, <laughs> uh, that I really love even all these years later is very silly um and yeah i think that's my mercedes valuable player is that bit because that was my way in it's it's kind of if i had to rank probably top three stand-up bits that would probably be in that list so that's going to be it for me top three Uh, stand-up bits for
0: lewis black or top three stand-up bits in general
1: uh probably in general but definitely lewis black i did not even think about that being a thing to talk about this time so I, i can't say for certain but it's a very important bit of uh something or other to me. Uh, no, do you recommend this album? This is a conditional wreck. Um, if mm-hmm. not, maybe
0: a partial wreck more so. Maybe, maybe it's more of a partial mm. wreck than a conditional wreck. I say don't bother with everything before Greed. I think you could pretty mm-hmm. much just listen to Greed straight through and get yeah. the gist of what makes this album and this whole stand routine work. So, maybe the first, I'm going to give it a partial recommendation, which is... Yeah not really the first time we've ever given it. Cause you also sometimes give partial recommendations to things like just look mm-hmm. up this clip. So partial recommendation for a rules of enragement. Yeah. Mason, what's your
1: recommendation? That's mine too. Pretty much a uh, partial recommendation. I would say if you want to list, if you, uh, you can start at the smallpox bit and then listen through to the end and you basically get the best section of that. Uh, and then the Ireland and health section, I think is really funny, but yeah, some of the earlier section here, I, in my notes, uh, when I was taking notes on this, it was, all the notes that I wrote down were of that section just because it was like, okay, I gotta be active in listening to this. And then once he gets into greed and then moving forward, I'm always like just enraptured and it has my full attention. So it's a partial recommendation for basically the last half of this album, but I do think people should listen to it. So that was Lewis Black. That it was. There, there it was. We talked about Louis Black on Saturday night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Musical guest Kings of Leon and your host Dane Cook. Dane Cook (laughs) comes out and goes, "It's great to be here." Yeah, it's great to be here. Touch my pussy on SNL in the green room. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm fucking. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kings of Leon. Ladies and gentlemen, Kings of Leon by pussy, and then, they, then he just goes <laughs> away. He goes away, and he's not in any other skits.
1: Dane it, it yeah, yeah, Cook kind a a, of
0: Dang, he kinda had a movie career. Let's not forget, he kind of yeah, had a movie
1: career for a little bit. Maybe we should talk about Employee of the Month on this show. <laughs> not a bad
0: movie, not a good movie, actually a fairly rated movie, I feel like, maybe, to be honest. Okay, but that's not the movie we're talking about this week. No, the movie we're talking about today is 2018's first time Ooh. we're ever talking about a documentary. On this show, this is
1: a, an episode of firsts,
0: an episode of firsts, an episode of worsts, <laughs> firsts and worsts on this episode, uh, and
1: we we are talking about sausages. Every single listener to this episode is getting a sausage from us in the mail. <laughs> Congratulations, you're getting
0: a sausage on Saturday Night Live. Uh,
1: no, this is the first time we're talking about a doc. I love
0: documentaries. On a good day, uh-huh. documentaries might be my favorite movie genre i know they're kind of their own beast they play by different rules than other movies Mm -hmm. do but we're talking about a documentary it's not my favorite documentary but it's a documentary that i haven't really stopped thinking about in a lot of ways since i watched it for the first time when it came out that is 2018's shirkers directed by sandy tan snaps 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 claps 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 for that uh mason what's your relationship to shirkers
1: uh, I, this is one of the, uh, I watched this movie in January, 2019 after, uh, they had moved me in between when they had moved me from my old desk at my, uh, entertainment industry job. And before they fired me, didn't do anything that job, watched a lot of movies. And this is one of them. Nice. I liked it then. And, uh, I love, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I really enjoyed rewatching it. Noah, what is your relationship to Sandy Tan's Shirkers? Yeah.
0: I mean. It's a, kind of a silly question to ask only in the sense that I don't have a big relationship to it because I heard about it, I watched it when it came out. I thought it mm-hmm. was great and I haven't watched it since except for this podcast and I'm actually going to pull up my Letterboxd because it did, did make my like top 10 of 2018 or whatever it Ooh. is. And so I want to You know what?
1: I want to see where that ra- ended up on my ranking so so no you're
0: good you're good i just remember thinking wow this is a very beautiful little story that you just don't you just don't really hear about this kind of shit happening this is such a special story that captures such a special kind of thing i was just completely enraptured with this film this was my number 10 of 2018 uh, my top 10 of 2018 real quick shirkers mission impossible fallout spider-man into the spider verse nice. first reformed won't you be my neighbor eighth grade roma shoplifters you were never really here minding the gap
1: nice uh shirkers was my number 16 this year uh good ass year good ass year 2018 was for movies though like i'm looking at this letterbox list and it's uh good ass year This is our second 2018 movie. We talked about You Were Never Really Here on the pod uh, back in April of this year. That's
0: true. The same episode we talked about the lovely uh, Dear Science by TV on the radio. Yes. But to get back to uh, Shirkers, it's just a really sweet, charming, kind of just delightful movie with a little bit of tragedy mixed in at the core. Mm -hmm. So, Mason, not not to... Openly take the driver's seat on this one, but are you okay if I kind of no, take please. the driver's seat on this one and sort it's, of?
1: Yes, it's it's your movie. Take the fucking wheel. Thank you. Drive it like you stole Jesus, it. Jesus,
0: take the wheel. Drive it like you stole it. Uh, I'm just I just wrote about a bunch of notes watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I, we, it's kind of hard to talk about a documentary. I feel like in the same way that you might be able to talk about a narrative movie. So I just kind of want to talk about the notes yeah. that I wrote down. The first one being, okay. and these are not in any particular order, so. I'm going to say it. If you haven't seen Shirkers, it's on Netflix. It's an hour and 35 minutes. Just sit down and watch it. You're just going to be glad go do you it. did. Um, go do it. But there's going to be spoilers for this movie. And there are some spoilers in yes. this movie. So spoiler alert, if that is a problem for you, definitely go watch the movie first before listening to this conversation. I thought it was very interesting that she sees Rushmore and Ghost World and says, that is what I was trying to do because that gives I know, that, right? that gives you an idea as to what shirker's would have been had there been a completed film and it and I'm sorry what were you going to say y-
1: no, and I was just going to say, like, almost half a decade before either of those movies came out. That's it. That's it. But I agree with you. I think it's incredible that she sees those movies and is like, that's that's it. That's Shirkers. That's what I
0: was trying to do. I'm not a big fan of Ghost World, but I understand that it kind of is, in a lot of ways, the female Rushmore in some ways. Mm-hmm. And Rushmore was huge for me mason when i was a senior in high school i thought oh, about I'm that sure. movie Rushmore was
1: huge for me too. dude
0: it is fuck i haven't watched it in a long time but it was just such a special movie for me and i have to imagine anyone sort of around that age it kind of touches on that feeling of just not feeling like you're respected or loved in a way uh, that a lot of movies don't really i think get right and i thought rushmore just absolutely nailed it uh, on the fucking mm-hmm. head but it's so interesting that she sees those two movies Rushmore comes out in 98 uh sure Sh- um Ghost World comes out in 2001 and she just is immediately like she being Sandy Tan the director of Shirkers of the Shirkers movie that is discussed in Shirkers is like yes. that's what I was trying to do it's in Singapore she Wes Anderson hasn't even made a movie yet she's kind of ahead of her time
1: yeah I that's there's a great line. There's a great um, uh, uh, feeling that um, Sophie Hayder, I believe, is her name, uh, expresses that she that Shirkers. This movie feels like it's missing from um, sort of the conversation of important world Singapore cinema, definitely, uh, and maybe world cinema. And when you see the footage from Shirkers in this, from the footage that was shot in this movie. And then you see it side by side with frames from Rushmore and um, Ghost World. You're like, fuck. If this was Sandy Tan's first movie and, like, Rushmore was, you know, this is technically her, like, bottle rocket, basically. Yeah. And, like, you see how rough bottle rocket is, but it's you still recognize this as a Wes Anderson movie. You're just like, fuck. If, like, certain people weren't involved with this and s- Sandy Tan was just allowed to flourish, like, what the fucking career... She she's had a, a brilliant career like she's done very well for herself as a creative person totally and um this movie is also incredible and, and it's it's a sad fact that Shirkers the movie was unfinished and is sort of this like piece of lost media almost that and necessitated this movie coming almost thirty years later almost um, but man you see frames from Shirkers the movie and you're like fuck what what would the world look like with that in the picture and with Sandy Tan as like an internationally recognized director basically that's the best possible thing that could have happened here and it just makes me feel so fucking sad, Yeah, honestly. It is
0: one of those things, there's a lot of what you just said that I want to sort of, sort of tributary off of that river of what you're talking about. The first being, having made movies myself, the way that Sophie acts as the producer of that film Mm -hmm. is kind of Mm -hmm. the dream scenario for someone you want in your corner. That is a person who just believed in the project so much that she literally was willing to fight for the movie to get free equipment. You know, like, who does that happen for? You know, this is independent filmmaking, you know, on the nth most degree, and she's exactly the kind of person you want in your corner because she believes in the movie. She's pretty much willing to do whatever she needs to do to make the movie happen uh, outside of getting your footage stolen <laughs> by the guy <laughs> directing the movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. she could have done about that. Well, there is, there are things you can do, but not that she would have known to do at the time. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just like, damn, that's like exactly the kind of person that I want to work with, just having made, you know, movies myself. Like, that's exactly the kind of producer that I want in my corner. And now she is going, she is the chair of the Vassar Film Department. So shout out to Sophie.
1: Fucking shout out to Sophie. I mean, uh... Man, I was listening actually to, or was watching an interview with, um, with Sandy Tan, uh, before starting this recording, and a thing that she put into this movie that I didn't realize until I heard her talk about it because just my worldview, this is really a a movie about um like a female friendship over twenty years basically totally um and you don't really see I and I until Sandy Tan said in this interview that that's kind of. Uh, a thing that she was interested in exploring in this movie. And I'll link to that in the, in the notes, um, this, this particular interview, because I think it's really important, illuminating. Um, you don't really see that in movies too much. And I think that it's, it's great that it's through a documentary and I great that it's, I, I love that this is also a, um, uh, uh a movie about making a movie almost. In oh, some absolutely. Way, kind of, it's the subgenre you know, of the backwards way movies. of doing it. Yeah. um, but I love that this is about a project that three really young women were really invested in, and then how they kind of got it back, but not in the way that it, not in its its full full. It's form, the but. it's
0: you know it's it is the screenwriting trope of character goes after thing that they want, they don't get thing they want, but they get thing that they need, and that thing exactly. that they need was to have some sort of reconciliation about the process of making shirkers because the first half of this movie you get the background on jasmine and sandy you know as young kids yeah. and what their life was like in singapore the kind of like
1: the like the punk scene in singapore a little bit or like the kind of like man those are some cool ass kids in 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 this movie like sandy and jasmine are two real and they're like kind of they're two like kind of dorky film like zine music guy fans i love those guys oh absolutely and you don't really get
0: to see singapore depicted on screen either so to actually see that country depicted even if it's just like we are setting our story here most of our story is going to take place here and it's sort of more of a backdrop you don't even really get to see that and it looks like an awesome place to live, from my perspective, Oh my God. Least, you know? No, I
1: think it looks cool as fuck, dude. I wanted to hang out in Singapore. It
0: looks awesome. I mean, obviously, i want to chew gum, you know? I don't know if that's still a thing where you yeah, can chew gum, that would, but that's fucked.
1: That is pretty fucked. Um, beautiful culture, though, it appears, just from the, the glimpses that you get here. And it,
0: I, I wasn't exactly sure where it was on the map, but it is, like, right in between Southeast Asia and Indonesia— on the map mm-hmm. it's like just south of malaysia and like mm-hmm. vietnam and laos and stuff like that so it's in an interesting spot it looks like you can easily get on to malaysia because singapore is an island um and it looks mm-hmm. like you can somewhat easily get there maybe by ferry maybe there actually is a bridge that you can drive over i'm not 100 percent certain but just a cool place that you don't really get to hear about i knew someone when i was at chapman who was from singapore he didn't oh, no really way talk about it in the sense other than he's like that's where i'm from and that's where my parents live and you know now i'm going to school in the u.s so i only go home like once a year because it's you know singapore and i'm living in southern california but that's also just a mm-hmm. cool aspect of it that you don't really get to see singapore that much so shout out singapore
1: shout out singapore um you do love to see it but
0: the thing about this movie that i think is so interesting is that the first half of this movie is all about I love movies. Movies are my whole life. You know, I want to make this movie. Okay, let's make this movie. Nothing can stop us from making this movie. You know, it's this sort of triumphant thing about how we made this independent feature, Shirkers. And the second half of the movie is a reflection of time. It's a reflection Mm -hmm. of like our own personal timelines mixed with Sandy's timeline, Sophie's timeline, Jasmine's timeline and George's timeline and how we sort Mm -hmm. of distort ourselves and sort of distort our own timelines based on our memory. So it's about memory. It's about, you know, youth. It's it's just all about these like real beautiful themes.
1: And it's all yeah. And it's all about how filmmaking. Is a method and capturing absolutely um that uh i watched this movie in 2019 and uh i didn't realize that aspect of this movie but that was like also a big thing in my favorite movie of that year which was the souvenir but we can talk about that when we talk about the souvenir (laughs) but i really i love when movies are about just the act of Capturing time, basically. That's what they do. They capture time. They capture sound. They they can't capture smells, unfortunately. Not yet, yet, baby. We're getting there. Um, but I love when, uh, it it did, it it did move me at the end when she's showing, um, not just, like, the footage of, uh, Sophie and Jasmine in the present day, but then she's splicing in, like, the. The, the, the previous footage from Shirkers of a lot of these kind of um, anonymous uh, people from Singapore. I don't know. Singaporeans? I think Singaporeans. Uh, I think they say Singaporeans in the movie. I think that's correct. Singaporeans. Whatever. All these all these people, these un, these uh, uh, these just regular everyday-ass folks that wanted to be in a movie and got a chance to. And, you know, what uh, got seen by a lot of people at the end of the day yeah. and were just, you know— you know, they are in the canon of cinema now, or they're as much as part of cinema as fucking Clark Gable or uh, uh, Jodie Foster, or I don't even know who the fuck Sydney Poitier. I don't know, but just there's something so beautiful to me about just regular ass people getting captured forever on thirty five millimeter film um, that this movie has as like one of its themes or one of its chief interests. And uh, it's beautiful, and it truly does make me feel better about this world that we're living (laughs) in. Well, it's it's
0: the thing you said is that, you know, film manipulates two things. It manipulates space, and it manipulates time. That's kind of the the, – it's two real magic tricks is that it can manipulate both those things. This one, we're not really manipulating space as much, but we really are manipulating time and really sort of focusing in on time as an overall theme here. And it, you know – There's there's an argument to be made about nostalgia and what sort of purpose nostalgia plays. I know there are people who are very anti-nostalgia, you know, in their in your daily life or just sort of in your life in general. Um, Not to sort of dive into that, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I think that it can be helpful at times in sort of reimagining things. I Mm -hmm. do think it can be potentially dangerous if you you know are misremembering things to a certain extent, you know. But it Mm -hmm. really does sort of just put growing up in the rear view mirror, but also in the forefront of like, this is what I remember that time as this is how this person remembers that time as this is how Sophie remembers this time as, you know, it is a coming of age story about these friends at the ultimately at the end of the day. And it really shocked me to remember that Jasmine says to Sandy, you're, you can be a huge asshole sometimes.
1: I know that scene. I love that Sandy Tan kept that scene in the movie and she uh, in this interview that I was watching, it's through, through, uh, she was interviewed by film comment actually like one of the, the magazines that she points out, um, in the earlier section, uh, ended up interviewing her, uh, which is nice. And again, post that in the notes. Um, but she's talking about her editing process and she had two, she edited this movie and she had two other editors and one editor was this, at the time, 27-year-old kid whose name was Kyle Sellers, um, Los Angeles-based director... Lucas Sellers. Lucas Sellers, I'm sorry. Um, fantastic job on this movie, Lucas. Um, and she was saying that... And I don't think it was about this scene, but that scene, I think, is really important to this movie. And that scene um, gets into that female friendship thing that Sandy Tan was really interested in. Because um, Jasmine... It, like. Jasmine is telling her business right to her face. And I think a less um, uh, assured director would be tempted to leave that out because it makes them seem... Absolutely. You know, but Sandy Tan is a character in this movie. It's a documentary. It's still a work of um, modified sort of... It's not a work of fiction per se, but it's modified. It's edited to a certain way. And Sandy Tan is a character. And she humbles herself in the movie, which I really admire. Uh, and I think that her uh, editor wanted to, that scene to be taken out. I am probably filling in blanks that aren't really there, but uh, it's, I love that it's in the movie. Uh, I love that her friend tells her her business, and I really want to see Jasmine's fucking movie that she made. I put it in my letterbox watch list. I know.
0: that If we can track that down, that would be an amazing thing to cover on this show because yeah, Singaporean cinema is not something you hear about hardly ever, and so to be able to see that, uh, you know the thing that's mentioned in that uh, in Shirkers would be amazing. Uh, can we talk briefly about George Cardona? You mean
1: the coolest guy that ever lived, <laughs> <laughs>
0: fucking <laughs> pussy master George Cardona? Yeah,
1: let's talk about George real quick. Yeah, yeah, he's a uh... well, he's a real guy, isn't he? He's uh... well,
0: you know what, Mason? It's very interesting, I think, because when you first meet George. If you are an outside observer, which you are in this movie, when you get to be a certain age, yeah. I didn't think that George was like a total scuzz bag when I first met him when I watched this movie in 2018. But now that it's 2020, almost 2021, knowing, having some more life experience on my belt, when I first meet George, I'm like, this guy's fucking full of shit. He talks yeah. with an accent that is hard to place. And when you talk with an accent that just sounds like a general foreign accent, I'm always inclined to believe, well, that's a fake – you're doing a
1: fake thing right now,
0: you know? Yeah. It feels like a a pickup artist move.
1: Exactly. He's a pathetic guy. Um, He's – now as an adult, you could probably be like – you could pick him out as kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing as he is. But when you're 18 – and someone's like that invested in you and your like kind of vision, you get it, honestly. Um and that's what I I uh, that's what I really appreciate about in this movie. But you're absolutely right, like a guy hanging out like I don't know I'm not gonna say red flags with this guy immediately watching this movie uh watching this movie, but definitely pink flags. Definitely something you definitely a character you should be cautious around. A little bit sus. Um, He's like among yeah. us. He's a bit sus. We're trying to figure out which He's one is bit, sus. He is the impo- but that's the thing, is like he would end up winning because uh I don't know. Well, because he steals the fucking
0: footage. That's that's a win He's right the there, fringe, baby. Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah. Um But what was what was interesting to me, at least this time around, Mason, was that I saw George as a tragedy this time. I saw his story in a much more tragic light than I think I did the first time around because I didn't really remember sort of, I knew that he stole the film, I knew that he stole the footage, I knew that he basically, you know, made it impossible for them to finish this movie, but I didn't really remember what sort of happened and what was sort of the final stamp in George's book. And they end up talking to a whole bunch of different people and
1: they. I just got zoomed pretty hard. Oh, shit.
0: Hello. Can you hear me?
1: I just got zoomed. I can still hear you. Just got fucking zoomed. Okay, I was still recording too. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. I kept recording. Okay.
0: Um, You know, do whatever you want. If you want to cut back in here when it's like, hey, we just got back Zoom. But either way, what was the last thing you heard me say?
1: Oh, fuck. Uh, Talking about George, how sad, how he's a tragic figure.
0: Yeah, basically, you know, I saw George in a much different light this time. I saw George as a guy who is so deeply insecure that he never gave himself a chance in the first place, he was always playing some sort yeah. of game. He was always playing, you know, trying to be Mr. Cool, basically, you know, not like not like Lawrence from School of Rock, Mr. Cool, but like <laughs> right. actually trying to be Joe Camel, basically, you know, Camel Crush Supreme. Yeah. And all these different stories that you hear about him from all these different people, he's like Gatsby. No one really knows the real... George. No one really knows the real George Cardona. Not even George Cardona knows the real George Cardona is what you get sort of the impression of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a complete black hole of a person basically. Um, he, and that's, you know, Sandy says it, that like the more that she, the, the deeper she goes, the less that she learns. And she's just seeing these like kind of reflections of film basically. And that's, it's so sad to me, honestly, when people, um, when that's people's lives, uh, I I do love the weird like kind of cosmic um, tragedy of him almost that he died on his birthday <laughs> and he like lied about his birthday for years, um, saying he was younger than he was, changing the day even, and then he dies on the exact day of his birth. The universe is funny sometimes. Is all I'm gonna say about sure. that. But I I yeah I. I it's, it's tricky man <laughs> he's a tricky guy he definitely like stole footage and kept it hidden away for like almost 30 years but he kept it he got rid of the audio for whatever reason but he kept the image um he's still like loved and respected this project so much to carry it with him up until his death across continents across countries um it, it's it's confusing and it's it's weird he's a fascinating fucking figure and i do um it's it's nuts also that that he dealt with his jealousy about his protege's working on sex lies and videotapes by saying that he was the guy that james spader's character was based on dude Um, that is
0: a movie i would love to cover on this podcast because i haven't seen all of soderbergh's work but I actually think that by, might be my favorite Soderbergh movie. I think that might be his best movie, honestly.
1: that's It's a very good movie. And I like Soderbergh a lot. I've seen a lot of his movies. Definitely not all of them. But um, when I, I wanted that movie with very high expectations. And I it exceeded even them. So uh, I love that movie a lot. Um, it's also like... Another sort of red flag, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, George Cardona red flag, is when he's telling you his entire life story and crying about it the first hour that he meets
0: you. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty fuck move on on anybody's part. That
1: sucks. Yeah, I don't do that. Uh, the first time
0: I met you, Mason, though, I cried immediately, and I was like, I, I'm a fucking bitch. That's my life story, right? You remember that, right? That was big <laughs> yeah, for you, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, that was in the courtyard. Uh, It was like, fuck, buddy, we got a podcast to record. We're meeting for the first time. (laughs) I I just got back from New Orleans. Can we, like, kind of put... Which is where
0: George's life pretty much, I mean, started, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term. You know, he's, you know, not being honest about where he's from, you know? You know
1: what I... No, definitely. You know what I love? I love when they go to try to find his mom's house and it's just an empty lot. Yeah,
0: that was crazy. It's like, oh, shit. It's like, this guy really was just a a collective figment of our imagination, you know, in the first place. Also, it really made me want to go to New Orleans, to be honest with you. Like, it really made me want to, like, go down there and just, like, hang out.
1: I love New Orleans. I want to go back and hang out someday. I kind of went – I don't want to say I went on business because they still had fun on that trip, but it was very – I want to explore that city again. Liked it a lot. That's all I want to say. Yeah. yeah. I only got one – What else you got about – I only got one more other thing, really, to say about it, and
0: that is – the movie shirkers that they make in shir- in the documentary seems to be the way people talk about it. Is that it was just fun loving? I don't like the term mood piece because I feel like that's a little bit of a cop out. But that's literally what one of the guys in the movie calls it, so I'll call it that as yeah. well. Uh, it seems to just be this very fanciful, fun expression of like somebody's personality and somebody's like being, yeah. you know. With yeah, all these different mm-hmm. little pieces like strewn in there. Yeah. And the documentary is just the grown up feeling of that because the documentary itself is so charming and so well constructed and yet still feel you feel like there's enough personality in there while still getting across the story of what happened. And so it's awesome mm-hmm. to just see, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, she never got to really finish Shirkers, but in the process of making Shirkers, you get her personality. You get Sandy Tan, you know, as a human being, both on a content level and on a form level with what she's saying in the movie and how she's making the movie. I just thought that was a real nice little thing. You know, it goes to show, like I said, the more things change, the more they stay the same.
1: I uh, I agree. I I um, couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think that that's... Um... You're right. Sandy Tan ended up getting – she won. She ended up making Shirkers. It may not have been – Shirkers. Shirkers. But it was Shirkers. Uh, I want to just shout out really quick the song Sari Luca by the Venopian Solitude, I believe. I hope this is the right one. Is that in the movie? Yeah. It's this little piece of music that plays in the first kind of part of the movie. Um, I really – I don't know why. When I heard that, I really really like the soundtrack in this movie is the point I'm trying to get to and uh in january when i heard this was a song that ended up on my january playlist in 2019 nice. um i don't know it's it's a nice like kind of little like dooch dooch oh sure sure that piece of music i really like that i don't know what they're saying, the translation of the lyrics there but just whatever the singer is feeling whatever the band is feeling i'm feeling it too really just want to shout out Sari Luca by the venopean uh, solitude venopean solitude Forgive me, folks. Um, Shout out
0: them. That's all I really had to say about it, Mason. Is there anything else you have to say before we dive into Fast Facts?
1: Um, boy, uh, no, honestly, not really. I think you kind of covered everything I want to say about this. I just, it's, um watching it made me kind of remember how exciting it was to be young and excited and wanting to make things. And, uh, I am in the kind of, I think, uh, wilderness part of my life right now. Uh, the idea of doing anything creative besides making this podcast is a little, uh, a little like, yeah, we'll get to that later kind of feeling. Um, but man, it, this movie does a really good job of, um, capturing that feeling. And, um, and capturing the sort of joy you get out of not just uh, making something, but making something with people who are close to you. So sh- sh- big shouts to that. So what are some fast facts?
0: Big shout out to that. And I have a feeling it's a movie that only will continue to get better as we age. Cause we saw this movie, yeah. you know, younger. I was what? 21, probably 20.
1: Yeah. I was 25. Yeah.
0: And so it'll probably only get better because the movie is about growing up. You know, and right. having this thing ripped apart from you, thing this thing ripped away from you that you worked on, and sort of reconciling with that. And it only probably gets better as you get older because you gain more life experience. So, shout out to that. It's probably a movie that only gets better as we go on, but only time will tell. I don't have a ton of fast facts because there aren't really a lot of facts about this movie because... Mm-hmm. The You have to watch the movie. That's like kind of the whole thing about the movie. The, the movie itself is kind of a fast facts section in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have – they're actually kind of longer facts, so bear with me here. Uh, the second and third one are at least. But the first one is Shirkers premiered at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival in January and won the World Cinema Documentary Directing Award, making her the second Singapore-born filmmaker – after Kristen Tan, uh, Kirsten Tan, Kirsten Tan, excuse me, Pop A mm. 2017, which was the movie that Kirsten directed, to win an award at the festival. So there you go. Very cool. Second, these are both taken from, I want to say, Filmmaker Magazine, I believe. These are quotes from Sandy Tan uh, about making mm-hmm. shirkers. This is first a quote on the condition of the 16 millimeter film that they found shirkers in the 70 reels of kodak 16 mil were in pristine condition even after being lugged halfway across the globe with multiple stops along the way in early 2015 after the cans of film had been sitting in my living room for three and a half years i tried to find a post house in la that understood the intricacies of 16 mil as well as the specific retro palette we had created for the film after mm. months, I found Modern Video Film, a post house in Burbank that had worked on a handful of Douglas Cirque movies for the Criterion Blu-rays, and also the Grand mm. Budapest Hotel, which I felt mm. were on the Shirkers' spectrum. When I did my final grade at Light Iron with Steve Bodner in New York and Ethan Schwartz in L.A., we found ourselves pulling back some of the original colors on the 2K transfer because they were so vibrant they looked fake, but they were, they weren't fake. And it should be said that back in 1992, George and I were obsessed with Nestor Almandros and the way he shot Days of Heaven for Terrence Malick. Inspired by Mm -hmm. him, we shot most of the original Shirkers during Magic Hour, which in equatorial Singapore lasts only 15 minutes. Holy shit. My goodness. That's fucking crazy. 15 minutes of shooting? Like, that kind of shit per day? Get out of here. That's in pot. I'm not going to say it's impossible. That's just and fucked. And, like,
1: like, 200 scenes, too. Like, it's really funny that she shared, like, this sort of, like, the scene breakdown or the shot list or whatever. Yeah. And there's, like, 200 scenes or, like, locations or something for this movie. It's crazy. I was like, Jesus. I God love you, Sandy Tan. You are really going for
0: I it. I know. It really is one of those things where I actually made a movie this summer before I went to college with two friends and it was a complete mess and uh and it was it just reminded me a lot about that where it's like well we're trying to shoot you know 20 pages today probably you know we'll make it happen who cares and then it just fucking doesn't happen so you have to improvise last minute and just the stress of like being there and having to make decisions because you didn't fucking do your homework in the beginning but you don't care Mm -hmm. because you're just there to you know make the movie and you don't really care about the rules so to speak that are in place
1: right Mm -hmm. Uh, i
0: got one more uh quote from you about from sandy on the actual materials that were collected that you see in the film this is also with filmmaker magazine she says i was forced to be a pack rat because such an intense part of my youth was sucked into a void with the disappearance almost uh, of shirkers i felt compelled to collect and store away everything else that i could Moving from Singapore to the U.S. in my 20s, I succumbed to some shedding, but I kept almost all of the mail I got for Exploding Cat, the zine I ran when I was 16, from a lonesome poet in Ohio, an Israeli experimental musician, several men serving life sentences in California state prisons. Also, back in the pre-internet, I wrote an insane amount of letters and postcards, sometimes two a day to the same friend, mailed in the a.m. and in the p.m., constituting an ongoing real-time diary of the whirling, frenzied, off-kilter, Triple axles that were going on in my teenage head, parentheses, mostly thoughts about movies and French guys. Two of my teenage correspondents who unbeknownst to me had kept all my letters to them were kind enough to share them with me. They're number in the hundreds. I hated keeping a diary. I had no discipline for that regimented daily shit. And I lived on the adrenaline of having fresh and blood audience. Even if they rarely wrote back, I am eternally grateful live journal or Facebook did not exist when I was a teen for my entire being would have been scattered into meaningless electronic shards, never to be made real again. Really just sort of put in perspective, how much we don't send each other letters now that's what i got from
1: that yeah save the post office folks uh send some letters i know
0: my mercedes valuable player for this are the three editors of the film the editorial team
1: (laughs) fuck that that's i might as well say it that's my mercedes valuable player as well so let's just get into it (laughs) sandy
0: tan lucas seller and kimberly Hassett. documentaries more so than other movies really are made in editing. All movies are made in editing, but this kind of documentary and all documentaries, I feel like specifically are really made in editing. Cause it's like, yeah, there's no script, you know, you, you have to cl- shoot what you yeah, can and, and then assemble it you typically shoot
1: so much and have so much other material that you need to like sift through and get down to something that's palatable. In this case, 95 minutes. Um, Uh, but yeah, but, but it's really an editor's, uh, medium almost in a way. Uh, so that's why this, it was three and those three editors were my Mercedes valuable player for this. This is a
0: full recommend for me, Mason.
1: Full recommend. Absolutely. Go watch it now. If you have not paused the podcast (laughs) yet to watch
0: it (laughs) literally on fucking Netflix, you guys like this isn't even like a hard one to find. This is
1: right there. You can. You can take a break from your Queen's Gambit bitch to watch Shirkers. You can do it, folks. It's not that difficult. Get off
0: the elliptical, sit your ass in your chair, and watch Shirkers. Then get back on the elliptical so you can keep watching Queen's Gambit.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, I guess that's it, folks. Thanks for listening to the show, as always. You can check us out on the links in the description. Send us an email. Everybody wants to. The number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Find me Mason at the Barn, a podcast about the Shield, my other podcast where we talk about the Shield. Uh, also on Instagram at hotdogdebicki or Good Sky Tonight T O N I T E or on Letterboxed under my name. Uh, do you have one quick uh, recommendo? It's uh, a uh, my mom, my mother out. is on the board of uh, the Wingspan Project, which is a Chicago-based, I believe, right now, uh, mental health uh, service. Uh, making those services available to underserved, marginalized, and/or disenfranchised people through organizational and individual capacity building. Um, donate to them. Uh, check them out. Um, that's my recommender for this week. Do it for me. Do it for my mom. It was my birthday. Uh, the week that this is dropped, so you have to do this for me. to Make it nice. <laughs> you uh, have to do this for Mason, or
0: he's actually going to get a little bit mad at me because. That's otherwise, what I am
1: going to. Uh, I'm going to keep your uh, your worst in my uh, fridge crisper and send it out right before it gets moldy. Holy um, shit. Yeah, that is a – I don't want to say it's a legally actionable threat. I don't want to take the bit that far.
0: Uh, Noah, where can the folks find you? Yeah, you can find me at all the normal spots, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd, all the shit, it's in the description. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast this coming – or this week, I guess, rather. Uh, you can listen to an episode where I talk to filmmaker extraordinaire Maddie Gwynn about her favorite Ooh. European countries she is a world traveler she's been based in Prague she's been based in Germany she is currently in Barbados she's trying to go to Mm. Hong Kong at a certain point she Mm. really does get around so to speak she really does get around the map she even travels by map like in the movies (laughs) they get a big map on screen and she just goes (laughs) and that's how she gets around so fast so we're talking to her about her favorite European countries specifically Eastern Europe is sort of her like expertise i guess for lack of a better term her uh area of interest so that'll be coming out happy birthday mason i hope i'm technically the first person to say happy birthday to you since we're recording this uh the week before this is coming out so happy birthday mason and happy birthday to my sister who doesn't listen to this podcast but happy birthday to my sister her birthday is very close to Mason's. I'm not going to dox her. I'm literally almost doxed her it's very completely. Close. But I, it's very close to when Mason's birthday is, so it's coming around at the same time. We're going to celebrate. Happy birthday to my sister. Happy birthday, Mason. My, I got two recs for you, actually, and one I wrote down during the recording of this because it came up. But the first Ooh. one is something I saw today when we're recording this episode. Uh, I don't even know how to say the name of the artist, so... I'm excuse me, and I feel bad about that that I didn't look that up before. But the Safety Bros just released a new music video for On a Tricks Point Nevers song Lost uh but not alone, I believe is what it's called. Oh mm-hmm. and it is fucking incredible. It's like four and a half minutes and it's fucking amazing. You just have to watch it. I'm not going to say anything else, but if you just look up Tricks, Point Never. Actually, I will send you the link, Mason. Can you link it into the description okay. of this? Yes, I'll link it in the
1: description. Perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know if this is a Stitcher Premium exclusive show, but there is a podcast hosted by Brendan James, I believe, and Noah Colwyn called Blowback.
1: Yes, blow back the Podcast. It's also available on Spotify. I listened to the first part of it on Spotify, the first part of the first episode on Spotify, but it's about the Iraq it's War. It's about the Iraq War, and they
0: try and walk you through it. I haven't listened to the entire thing either. I've only listened to the first, I've listened to the prologue and the first episode, but it's a very confusing event. It doesn't make any sense, but they really try and break it down for you, and even still, it's still a confusing event, but it's probably one yes. of the best synthesis of that time period and it really tries and walk you through kind of what was going on in that time period so those are my two recs thank you guys mason take us out
1: thank you as always black lives matter tra- black trans lives matters abolish defund get rid of the whole thing uh, the whole thing being the police um save the post office um fuck donald trump gotta try to get my mileage out of that uh stay off twitter and we'll see you all next week see you guys
0: Doggy